Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined by Tom Kennett. And for this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the newly released Amazon documentary, Arsenal All or Nothing. On to the final stretch then, episode seven and episode eight, the final two have been released this week. And so we've got a rather depressing two episodes to get into. Um, Ultimately, if you were a rival fan watching uh, the All or Nothing series, I feel like you endured what you've endured to get yourself to this point. Um, If you're a United or Chelsea fan, there is at least some kind of kick in the teeth before we get to the end. But if you're a Spurs fan, this is what you've been licking your lips for. We start episode seven with Arteta receiving the Manager of the Month award. And I think I went through every excuse that I could possibly go through towards the end of last season. I didn't consider this one. And as Arteta is asked in his press conference about the Manager of the Month curse... (laughs) Are you surprised that he's unaware of it? Uh, yes and no, I guess. Unless you are paying attention to it. But yeah, I guess he's been in English football a little while as a player. Yeah, that's so, what I mean. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe somewhat surprising. Maybe he's just playing coy. And hopefully this doesn't affect me. But Jesus, this might be the most extreme case of it we've ever yeah. seen in fairness. <laughs> you say about kind of whether he'd be playing it down, but... He does this thing, and I've seen it in previous episodes. If he's a little unsure, he almost smiles. And he smiles and turns yeah. to the press officer and is like, manager of the month, curse, help me out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did seem genuine. And then, yeah, the curse, obviously, if he was laughing about it then, he's not laughing about it after. But there is clearly some a lot of positivity around the team. We've got him being photographed before we get there. And then in the injury room before Palace... We've got a number of players kind of stretched out and the conversation starts with Tierney being asked if he has Nicola Sturgeon's number and I did not know where we were going at this point. <laughs> I thought this could be one of them weird crush things, like one of the physios is like, <laughs> put in a good put word. Put in a good word. <laughs> Imagine Tierney did have Sturgeon's number. I was thinking about this. Like, the circumstance as to, because they're both fairly awkward people. how that could have possibly been exchanged if that had happened like Sturgeon coming up and going if you just take my number anytime you need me anything you may need just give this a call and then it's obviously stemming from the fact that Party's got his phone out and they've just clocked that he's got the Ghanaian president's number in his phone yeah which is pretty mad I reckon Sturgeon just be like Tierney's dead to me once he went (laughs) south south dead to me once he left Scotland I mean we see a lot of Rob Holding in this episode. He's asked if he has Boris Johnson's number. After watching this, do you think Boris Johnson might be in touch? Like He may hand his number across. Rob Holding does seem like a fantastic guy. Does seem like a great guy. Which may be a side or, of character for him, whether he accepted that number. Or Michael rules him out, I think, because Rob Holding would be there every day. And they'd be like, oh, you don't need to be here, Rob. We're <laughs> especially clocking off getting on the lash now. I'm one of those that hasn't aged fantastically. Um, the last thing before we see the Palace game is the physio saying uh, Saka's hamstring's all all right. And he says, watch out, Palace. Yeah. And then 
we see all three goals there. I mean, and we have a, a lingering well, spectre of doom. Yeah, going yeah. into this, if I didn't know the Palace result, I would feel confident that I know how this game's going to go. The whole way they build it. Yeah, because even with that, I mean, we don't need to get into recent events, but Palace are a tough team to play, and there there was a feeling of, okay, this does happen. Palace do do this to teams. I think maybe the week before, we've just seen them hold Man City to a draw. We've seen them do it previously, and there's this kind of hope within Arsenal fans, despite knowing that's probably not the case. Well, if this is just a one-off, maybe it kicks us on. Maybe this is one of them we can say, best thing that happened to us. Yeah. And within the club, they're clearly trying to do that. Arteta has a kind of team talk, but almost like one of these morning lessons that he has. Yeah. And he's talking about team spirit. And this is what's going to get us over the line. And we see the footage of everyone jumping on Leno after the Villa game. <laughs> and Granit Xhaka just pushing a photographer to the floor. <laughs> I'm receiving a red card from Arteta. You're probably lucky you've only got a yellow. <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is his sort of uh, ace up his sleeve. If he's a bit in doubt. Bring up uh, Xhaka's discipline. That would get a nice, easy laugh. He says he says something along the lines of, um, next time you're crying, just remember this and remember that you were lucky. And so he's clearly not ruling out that it is going to happen again sometime in the near future. <laughs> we Winning duels is a consistent theme here. And I've kind of grouped the Brighton and the Southampton game into one because the, the Southampton one, they almost gloss over, really. Mm, yeah, they do. The fact that winning, to be fair, there wasn't much to show from that game. So yeah, I know. Just... <laughs> it, is, it is the way it's thrown in. It's like, oh yeah, they also lost this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What I thought, and obviously don't want to talk too much about kind of current events because it's largely unrelated, but winning duels is a consistent theme throughout this show. Like every team talk that's negative, it's like you're not winning your duels. You should be winning more duels. If I lose a duel, I'm upset. And I've had that in my head for a week now. If I lose a duel, I'm upset. <laughs> it, it makes it more interesting to me that we've not gone for a midfielder this summer because that tells me that Arteta feels it's more a lack of application from his players than a personnel issue. Yeah, I'm slightly surprised you haven't gone for a midfielder regardless of seeing this. But yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Uh, but then at the same time, he, he does obviously rate the guys he's got. Yeah, on looking on this, you'd never know that he wants to bring someone in outside of a striker because he's pretty overwhelmingly positive about everybody. And there's only when he's having to go in the press and go, "Yeah, look, we need to start scoring (laughs) some goals." Yeah, if if we saw like in in rugby league, they just have a camera in the changing room sometimes, and then you just get these shots, and. If we were to see what was happening in the Brighton game when Arteta asked Lacazette if he believes he can score two or three in the second half, I'd probably have left the stadium there and then. <laughs> because that is not a man that looks like he was going to score two or three. And Arteta, it's almost like as that's leaving his mouth, he thinks, what am I saying here? Of course, you're not going to score two or three. <laughs> You wouldn't mind a bit of belief from him, though, would you? No, no. We might all think you're not good, yeah. but at least you can. That Wenger quote's fantastic, isn't it? You, Very Confidence, good, yeah. you go up in the stairs and come down in the elevator. Yeah, that is a belter. 
I remember listening to that podcast episode actually and hearing that and I wrote it down in my notes to quote on our Monday pod but never did. Tierney getting injured coming out of the shower is something I wish I never found out. I was going to ask, is this common knowledge? This no, feels so it wasn't. This is so on brand. Yeah, they did a good job of covering this up. I'm surprised they let this get out. Well, they explained that essentially he was injured but was able to play five games <laughs> without making it worse. And then he takes a wrong turn out of the shower and they describe it as his knee just collapsed. I mean, that must be brutal. Yeah. The thing I don't, I don't quite get as well, though, they said, so he, he got injured, didn't tell anyone, and then played five games with no problems. How do you know that that was when it happened then? Well, I remember all these people, as if he shouldn't be playing, by the way, all these Arsenal fans were just atting the Scottish national team, essentially saying, it's these nothing games and he's playing 90 minutes. You know what he's like. When I imagine he must have just mentioned something or after the fact, he says, well, after the Wolves game, I felt this. But I was able to carry on, blah, blah, blah. I imagine for him, he's that injured. It may be one of them where you know, boxers always say, well, you're never fully fit going into a fight. You've always got niggles. Like... For him, if it's not him. ruling yeah. him out of a, a match, he probably thinks, well, I'm used to this. Yeah, he won't have been fully fit for most of his career, would he, I imagine? No. Um, Did you, uh, yeah. Sorry, when he's on the treatment table after he's basically been told you're done, who is it? Is it Rob Holding? Because someone comes over and goes, is that your season over? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely my season over. It's kind of, it's kind of like, I don't know, like Big Keith talking to Tim in the office. He's like, so are you plan to nail Dawn? <laughs> I don't really know what to tell you. But yes, my season's over. Yeah, and Tierney looks like he's said that far too many times that week where it's not like painful leaving his mouth anymore. He's like, yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah, it's very matter of fact, wasn't it? Yeah. If you didn't know it was him, you'd be like, oh, this guy's not bothered. But he's, like you said, he's had a bit of time to digest it, I think. Yeah, pre-Southampton, and I don't know if this is a poor translation, Um Arteta exactly tells them <laughs> you've got to play with your balls out. <laughs> and repeats it. Balls out, guys. Balls out. If we're in trouble this season, I'm not ruling out. We're not doing shirts versus skins. It's like shorts versus balls out. The starting 11 just have to play shortless. <laughs> and this is how we prep for like a tough game. This is how we prep for Spurs next season. Sends them out for us in the second half and they all have to take a yellow card. <laughs> <laughs> You think, oh, yeah, sure, so. you think it's cold now? You think it's cold? Guys, I remember how you played in Newcastle last year. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're going out with your balls this time. Rob Holding calls himself the ultimate team player. And in a terrifying thought, he says, if you had 11 of me, you'd be all right. Yeah, and then he sort of looks off into the distance where even he knows, <laughs> yeah. oh, God, that would be tough. <laughs> and a rare bit where... I think my favourite things of these have been the kind of candid conversations that maybe they're unaware they're being filmed, but they say to Sambi, like, what's up? Nuno asks him, what's up? Are you all right? And he's trying to just tries not answering. He says, just enjoy your food. Smith Rowe says to him, uh, you have changed a lot, though, you know. And he's like, well, I was playing at first. <laughs> and then Eddie, Eddie says, so what? You think you only got a fucking playing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he looks raging with it. Pulls no punches at all. And in that moment, Sambi does seem to realise, you know what? <laughs> you make a good point. 
And then Sambi, I mean, the Brighton game is one of the worst individual performances I've ever seen. Well, the thing is, we uh, around this run as well, I was, I was looking at anything. Is the documentary trying to blame this on Lakonga? Because we basically just keep getting shots of his face around the time anything's <laughs> going wrong. He's kind of like uh, like oranges in The Godfather. Like if you see Lakonga, something <laughs> yeah. bad is about to happen. But they keep just flashing up. What it does show when I look back at how much we see in the media these days that the club has almost like intentionally leaked. And I do wonder with these journalists if they know they're being used as like a mouthpiece at times. Like there was a thing after Wenger left where all of the stories that Ornstein would get would be negative. And he never had any of these like Pepe like exclusives. And so you could quickly realize that it was like someone in the dressing room each time is feeding him something to make themselves look better or to make someone else look worse. Hmm. And you can see that with transfer stories, usually at the end of the window. We've seen it with United where they essentially leak the Arnautovic story to say, are you going to accept this? And in the week before the Brighton game, there was a big thing on The Athletic where they were explaining, well, this is the reason that Arsenal bought Sambi Lekonga. They see him as a uh, natural successor to Thomas Partey by the time Partey's older and he's unable to have the legs to play this position anymore. Lekonga is going to be developed enough to be able to do it. And if they do need him this season, that will be the person stepping in. It wasn't supposed to be Elneny, basically. <laughs> And then Lakonga steps in against Brighton. And I do always put almost an asterisk, asterisk against this because he had Odegaard and Smith-Rowe in front of him for a guy playing that position for almost the first time in a very specific system that it took party over six months to get to grips with. Mm. He had almost no protection. His passing range isn't the same as parties, And the guy was just getting cooked by... It would have been... Mwepu, Caicedo and Basuma, I think they packed the midfield out and essentially all three of them were just battering him every time he got near the ball. And that's a rough day for anyone. Even like Trossard dropping into little gaps that you'd have to yeah. try and follow him with. Brutal, really. And so he may have been wishing he wasn't playing after going through that game. But it was interesting because we almost look at players negatively when we hear the stories of, well, they're not happy just sat on the bench. And sometimes we can almost look at them what well, you're not good enough to be playing anyway, which eliminates any kind of feeling on their side. When it's explained by someone later in the documentary that you almost don't feel like a footballer. I, I don't think, I, I mean, I'm not going to be a footballer anyway. I don't think I could be in a position where you dedicate all of your energy to being happy for the person that is essentially keeping you out of doing your job. And so when you get players like Holding and how he talks about himself before, they are like worth their weight in gold, the players that are not happy to do to do that role, but are content at least. Yeah. It's, that's where professionalism does come in, doesn't it? Because, like you said, you may not be necessarily happy that the guy in front of you is performing, but I don't think you can be in a spot where you're actively basically hoping that they fuck up constantly. No, no. Because it's, it's bad for you, but it, and it is being a bad team. Everyone will have seen it at some point when if they've played football in a team that someone on the bench like, is genuinely like, unhappy and the team's winning. And look, in, the, in that team, no one's probably becoming professional. So that's probably one of many reasons why that person isn't kicking on, right? But you must see it in... So many of these, you said about players leaking stories, there must be so many in these clubs 
where a player who, let's face it, is going to be a very good player because they're a professional footballer in a Premier League club, is going to have a massive ego and think they should be playing. Yeah. And he's probably an absolute nightmare in the dressing room because they're probably just really bitter and angry that someone's playing ahead of them. That That's where sometimes it does pay to almost know who your starting eleven is. And maybe that's why it's easier for goalkeepers because they aren't going into every weekend thinking, am I going to be starting this week? Like Rob Holding, there's got to be a point. If Ben White makes a mistake on a Saturday or Gabriel, he must think if he has the best week of his life in training, there is some point in the back of his head where he thinks, maybe the gaffers noticed this and he's going to put me in. Yeah. And when Party gets injured and it's Lakonga that steps in. You've got to think Nenny inside is looking at him as a 19-whatever-year-old kid and saying, I can do better than this guy. And he says, doesn't he? I think it may be jumping ahead, but he says that he turns all of his anger into training and being as good as he can be. So then he's still at the required level when he does need to be uh, put into the game. Yeah, certainly. And I think he was referencing Eddie at that point, wasn't he? I think. Yeah. It's... um. Yeah, you are right. Certainly, if you're in that status of the squad, like Alan Enney or, or Holding is, they have to be that sort of personality. And if they are, it's brilliant for the whole sort of culture of the team, really, because it it does mean when Arteta is saying, look, this is going to be everyone in this season, that does mean everyone's all in, rather than just having a few people on the outskirts that basically don't feel involved. I think it makes a difference as well when they do eventually come in, because you look at the attitudes mm. of players, players who probably had more of a right in the moment to feel like they deserve to be started and you look at someone like Deli Ali, and I'm only going by what we've seen of him in the documentary but for someone who I imagine when he was first dropped out the team he could not believe it and the longer and longer it takes he looks like someone that's going to sulk more than is going to drive themselves more and more and more in training to the point where you can't possibly keep them out of the team when we get the interview like Arteta does when he says, no, Eddie's absolutely right to be wanting to start more games. It's probably more palatable for a manager to hear that when it's coming across in the right way than if you've got someone sulky and they're bringing the mood down in the dressing room. And I think you do see that in this Arsenal team, at least. It does feel like everyone is very compact, even in the moments with players who, what, Eddie doesn't start a Premier League game until March. No, well... April in the season. Crazy, really. Um, we go into the Chelsea game then. We've got this uh, Eddie uh, situation going on. He, he starts against Southampton, barely gets a sniff. And I think I told you about it if I didn't actually come and speak about it on a Monday, where I told you about this interview that he'd done with the Beautiful Game podcast, where he pointed out and said, it's very hard to come on after 87 minutes and be the hero. Like, if you look at all the players that this happens to, it's very rare someone can carve it out for themselves where they're constantly on it and you can really make a difference. He said, if I can start three, four, and I think he goes up to six games in a row and I don't score and I'm playing terribly, then I can accept that because I don't deserve to be in the team. But it's hard for me to make a case for myself when I don't have the time to prove it and at some point actions speak louder than words you can say how valuable I am but you have to give me the opportunity to show it 
Well, I agree with you that Arteta will probably take this as better than if you sulk or whatever. Are you still a little bit surprised that Arteta, Arteta takes this as well as he does? If you didn't, if you didn't know, and you'd only watch this documentary, and then you see that Eddie's done this on a podcast, how do you think you're thinking Arteta's going to react? I'd be thinking he's going to bomb this guy. I think at the time I thought this is a bold move, mm. but I did also think Lacazette was playing that badly. That well, this does play a huge part, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. If he wasn't playing by this point, it may have been any means necessary. And I think there was a part of PR on his point where it was, well, if they're not going to sign me, I need to at least keep my name in the conversation and say that how good I am because we know after this, West Ham put a hundred thousand pound offer on the table for him. Um, yeah. So I think it didn't look like Arteta was caught off guard by that happening I would imagine all of the Arsenal players media has to be approved before they go and do it I think that's probably the way the club are so I'd imagine if they're at least aware of it and I'd imagine Arteta's been told about his comments beforehand because it did kind of break free of just the podcast in space and I also think Eddie kind of had to speak up because I think what I did speak about on a Monday was Ian Wright went on the Ask Blog podcast, which you hear throughout this series, uh, yeah. the Irish guy you'll hear. And Ian Wright was really, he wasn't insulting Eddie, but he was saying, look, this is, this is your chance. You can't be sulking. You've got a big opportunity to go in there and be the leader of the Arsenal team to score the goals, to get them into the Champions League. Like, is a contract elsewhere better than this? Like you need to be proving it. You can't be complaining that you haven't got the minutes if when you come on you aren't scoring the goals. And so I think there was a sense from Eddie that he had to speak out somewhat. The actual podcast, I think you hear a clip of it on the documentary, was very much uh I think the lads that do it must be mates with a lot of the London boys. They've had Zahar on there. That was where he went on and said that he wasn't going to be taking the knee anymore. Um okay. A couple of the younger Arsenal guys have been on there. Lakonga's just been on there. So I think they were probably aware of the way the comments were made. It's not like he's insulted Lacazette. It's not like he's insulted the manager. He essentially just said, I want a chance to show you what I can do. And so in the right way, maybe because Arteta already knows his personality, it probably goes down better than if, uh, I don't know, if Nuno Tavares had gone and spoken to the press, because I want to speak about him in a minute, but <laughs> there's probably players that Arteta likes less than others, and they would be on a tighter leash if they were to go away and talk in the way that uh, Eddie had. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I just remember hearing, like you said, they have a bit of the podcast there, and I'm oh, I wonder how Arteta initially saw that. I, think, you, I don't think he'd be happy. Do you think also, because of how... Clearly, Arteta wanted to keep Eddie. There was this sense from people uh, when the season ended that it was like a last-minute decision from Arsenal, and they were like, oh, shit, Eddie scored some goals. We want to keep him now. When Arteta throughout the season had been quite clear, I want to keep this guy. Hmm. And so I don't know if that played into it. He was maybe walking a tightrope and having to keep the player happy. And in the way that we said Aubameyang was bombed out of the team and it was more convenient because of how shit he was playing. 
maybe the fact of how shit Lack is playing, Arteta looks and says, it may not be in my best interest to alienate the other striker and that... Exactly that, I think, which is it's smart management because a lot of managers would cut their nose off to spite their face there and their ego wouldn't be able to handle that Eddie had said something and he'd bomb out and continue playing Lacazette and basically something that wasn't working. Mm. So um, that's a nice sort of flexibility to Arteta that probably we didn't think he maybe had in the locker. And what I quite liked is it wasn't completely boo-hoo the uh, interview he did. In no. the interview, he does very much pile the pressure on himself where he says, if I don't deliver, take me out of the team and you can say, look, you were right. He's not good enough. All of this. The fact that he comes in, he has the bad game against Southampton, but everyone was. And then he scores two against Chelsea, then scores two against Leeds in the next game. One against, uh, he gets the penalty for the, does he get a penalty for United 1? He doesn't get a penalty for United 1, but against West Ham, he's brilliant. It's like a perfect kind of target man performance. He did really back his talk after this interview. So, I mean, fair play. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Where if you, how many young players, if you could give them a run where you said, look, you are in this team, let's see how you do, how many would be a lot better than they end up being? Their career just drifts because a big club basically can't afford to take that chance on them. So, never gives them the run. They can't show what they're capable of and end up falling lower and lower. When if they could just have a like I said, five or six run games of starting, getting minutes, how many would kick on? I think it'd be a surprising number. It's tough though, isn't it? Because we've also looked at young players before and said they need saving from themselves. Like you can't keep them out here to be taking the battering that they're doing because their confidence then never recovers from that. So sure, but that's also you know their stage of development, isn't it? Well, so if, if it had been earlier for Eddie, you, that would probably have happened to him. You like, save the guy, but it's around this yeah. time he's got to be getting the games. Sure. Because Chelsea tried it with Hudson Odoi, didn't they, for a while, where it was like, we're going to play this guy until the wheels fall off and we're going to live yeah. or die by it. And then it got, got to a point where they said, we can't do it anymore. And you had the time he was subbed on and then subbed off. And I mean, that that's just bad management if you are trying to get the player's confidence up. But I don't know. Sometimes the manager puts themselves above the player and in this case I think Arteta in putting the player above himself saw the bigger picture in that this was probably the best move for him as well said, fuck me I need some results and yeah. start playing him. and there's there's the big question then come the end of the season of well if we'd actually put Eddie in sooner maybe things would have been different and that doesn't really bear thinking about for me <laughs> yeah that's that's a rough thought I saw a heat map comparison today of uh, Lacazette against Leicester last season in a game in which he got man of the match, by the way. And Gabriel Jesus against Leicester on uh, oh, Saturday. It is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a straight line almost. And you see the heat kind of fading as Lacazette's clearly knackered getting into the box. Lacazette's and, is blue. Yeah, well... well Jesus's is pretty much the entire final third and then it's still like yellow in the first half of the second half kind of thing he that guy can run uh mm. Lacazette yeah. definitely can't we've got a light bulb team talk here I was gonna say you were saying about the Chelsea one but let's not get ahead of ourselves we've got a yeah I mean we haven't actually got into the game yet too much I saw I didn't want to get yeah too much but- um because is this pre-Brighton game, this? 
I'm throwing them yeah, all it is in actually, together. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I got a bit jumbled. Where I do remember happens. really thinking the Brighton game feels a low point in this episode. <laughs> yeah. I remember getting about halfway through that and being, God, this was a tough time. Yeah, and a point that I wrote down here, because I was looking at all the players' faces and I actually paused it at the point in which he switches the light bulb on to try and have a look around. No one is smiling. Do you think Klopp could give you this speech and fire you up? This exact speech, just him saying it, and you're not going to find it funny. You're going to get fired up by it. I don't know. I, I think you'd be laughing at him. I think could be wrong. But I, I mean, fair play to him on this one. I will say some of his speeches have been good. Some have been funny. Fair play on the players not tracking <laughs> yeah. here because this is. I was braced for this. Bear in mind, obviously, we know this is coming. This is kind of like the. Mike Tyson punch in the hangover. You like, I know he's about to yeah. lay this guy out. I'm braced for it, and yet when it happens, I still find it hilarious. I'm still finding it hilarious. <laughs> and ironically, the only one who threatens to break is that Carlos Cuesta. Yeah, he yeah. just starts his grin starts going out, and you're thinking, not the coach. You can't. I actually break. think that's one of like, it's almost like I'm, I think the way he looks up to Arteta, he's probably looking like this is brilliant. This is unbelievable. <laughs> Is he well, that or he's making like a mental note and be like, well, I'm a manager. Fuck yeah. this. I'm not doing this shit. What did you think of Arteta not giving a team talk after the Brighton game? Do you think that was a bad move or the right one? Because on Football Manager, that's deemed as a massive thing. I don't know. In terms of the players, when you're telling them, I'm not going to do this because I could say something I regret. <laughs> I don't know how that comes across to your players. I, I think that lands well because that was quite a... He could have been angry at them, and instead he kind of gave them the disappointed. And that, I think, was a real dagger for them. Because he does it against um, Everton as well, doesn't he? And it actually ends a losing run then. Yeah. I, th- I think he was probably right, because he probably would have been saying some awful things, because he looked pissed. And I mean, that is a real, real low point. If you look around that dressing room, and it does look like a group that realises, oh, shit, this is getting away from us here. And it's kind of unravelling, and we can't really stop it. He says, if you lose two games in a row at this football club, it's a funeral. And that he doesn't feel the team. Yeah, I really did get this jumbled up. The way they did the Southampton game just spun me completely. Mm. Um, Yeah, because then he's he's obviously got them back in on Monday. And saying, basically, he's like, well, I couldn't have, uh, I couldn't say anything to you at the time. I would have said something I regret. Yeah, he says it again. A fucking disaster. (laughs) If you lose to Paris and Brighton here, it's a fucking funeral. If this was you calm and measured, what were you going to say on the night? Yeah, because then we we hear Ian Wright, doesn't he? And he's talking about Eddie saying, you've got a real chance here to be the guy. And then that leads into the the latter stuff that I spoke about. Exactly, yeah. He says to them, do you need to go to a football match together? Do you need a night out? Do you need to have a drink? (laughs) (laughs) He's really like, box of tricks here. He's trying, yeah, he's getting. He's trying to squeeze every bit of knowledge he's got. Like, how can I get something out of these guys? Yeah, Eddie talking about being dropped by Chelsea. This is a thing that I always, whenever we hear one of your stories, I think I always forget that this happens. And I've seen it maybe in part of that interview that we referenced, but he says in there it was horrible. And the worst thing was that he's dropped by Chelsea, and he said he's essentially known in his area and around school as the kid that plays for Chelsea because right, yeah. you get, you get time off school for, to train. You get all these little things. And then it's like one day you're not off on a Thursday afternoon to get down to Chelsea training. Mm. 
and he said it, it's just the most embarrassing thing because people have almost invested in you to the point where they want to say they know the kid that plays for Chelsea and people aren't even being horrible. They're just going, why, why aren't you going to Chelsea training today when really you should be working this one out? Um, but he said the reason he kind of felt so indebted to Arsenal is pretty quickly after his dad, one of his dad's mates, I think it was, just happened to be a scout for Arsenal and just said, come on, bring him down and we'll take a look at him. And because they picked him up that quick and they saved him from this kind of embarrassment of, well, now I'm just not the kid who played for Chelsea. I'm the kid that played for Arsenal. That's that's fine by me. He moves on from there and goes all the way up the age range. But he says what a record he had against Chelsea as a kid. So maybe this was what Arteta had in mind all along. I'm going to save him and then bring him in against Chelsea. He knew. All DHS <laughs> and all that. We get one of his meetings with uh, Albert Steuvenberg before the game. His feel a lot more like a teacher than Questers, who feel a lot more like a motivator. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a different dynamic, isn't there? And I wrote down while watching his one with Eddie. The the real thing I think we are missing in this documentary are the Jose office chats that he had in the Spurs one, and we don't ever really get a one-on-one chat that isn't on the training field with Arteta and one of his players. And I think it could have been so interesting to see an Arteta one with Erdegaard would have been fantastic, an Arteta one with Xhaka even, and just one of these, or even just someone that wasn't training very well, just to kind of pick them up. But we don't get that the whole way through, and I was waiting for one of these, and this is That's kind of... That's a good of, point, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah This true. is as close to it as we get. And I, I did ask. also think this bit exposed um, that a striker really won't listen to many coaches that much. Because even yeah. when he's telling us he's giving good feedback, I still look at Eddie and think, I know what I'm doing. He thinks, I know what I'm doing. Uh, like, I know how to score goals or whatever. Because this guy's sort of telling him, that. I think even then there's a striker and then just going, look, I, I know what I'm doing here. It's, uh, he's, he's taking on, not saying he's not taking it on board, but I think. There is a degree to which strikers are just instinctive and don't want to listen to a coach. I thought he looked a bit embarrassed. Uh, yeah, yeah. As part of it, because the, the feedback he's being given, I think... It wasn't exactly scathing, was it? it wasn't... No, no. But I think as a striker, when you're being told, don't worry about scoring... That, that's, it's a bit humiliating, yeah. That's Yeah, that's got to be like... I mean, it doesn't look bad on you. It's just maybe not the first thing that I would say you should wear out I mean, tonight. The the, uh, the producers should have pulled Ellie to one side and look, don't feel bad. You're a kid being told this. Lacquer's like, getting told the same thing as yeah. senior pro, supposedly. Yeah, when I mentioned uh, this show in The Barbers, the first thing that was mentioned was, um, you see him telling Lacazette to watch clips of Benzema? <laughs> and I said, yeah, maybe, maybe you start with Shea Adams there. So what do you start? All right, okay. Audience wasted. here, not quite right. <laughs> totally wasted. Um, yeah, so we then get, before the Chelsea game, another kind of wholesome Saka moment. Oh, too good, isn't it? Too we good. Get, they invite one of the kids down that wrote him a letter after the Euros to come down to have a tour of the Emirates, and then he walks out. 
I didn't think he had an ice cream with him at first. And I thought it was just his opener. Like what, what flavor ice cream do you want then? And then he did have one. So it did work out in the end, but just seems the loveliest of blokes. I know. I, I don't know if he's got a dark sense of humor or he kills people in his spare time or what, because this just seems like the nicest guy ever. with <laughs> No sort of like demon in him at all. Just what a guy. Yeah. Him walking around the pitch on the Emirates, giving him some headers. Um, I do wonder with kids when someone blatantly lets your penalty in, whether they know. I feel like that kid was old enough to know, but he enjoys it anyway. And then everyone's going along with the charade. Saka says, do you think we're going to get top four? And he goes, probably. <laughs> yeah. I reckon Saka should have been having him up there. So, what do you mean? Probably. He's like, do you believe in us? He's like, yeah. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. That does. Yeah, for the, for the sake of the tape, looking back now, it's probably best Saka didn't act too outraged. But what, the way my imagination was watching this, I was thinking how different the scene would have been if that's me walking around with Saka and he's giving me some headers to do. Headers to do. He lets the penalty in. I imagine it doesn't look quite so cute this moment. It just looks like he's taking pity on me instead. So maybe that's why any adults that wrote a letter to him didn't go down quite the same way. Yeah, I'm not sure us watching this documentary and seeing you being given the tour is quite so wholesome, I'll be honest. I reckon me having a, uh, an ice cream with uh, Saka. <laughs> what with ice Saki. cream would you have gone for? The strawberry. Strawberry Gosh. and uh, chocolate, definitely. Um, in fact, it sounds very... Uh, well, I ordered some ice cream the other day. Not that I couldn't bother to go to the shops, but I've been embracing the little Morrison's thing on Amazon. A lot cheaper to get uh, drinks and things. And they had ice cream on offer ordered a strawberries strawberries and cream one because as you famously know i don't like like hard chunks in my ice cream yeah plain but flurry <laughs> they deliver a strawberry shortcake one who the hell wants frozen digestive biscuits in their ice cream mm, i could deal with it but yeah I yeah i mean I'm, I'm gonna eat it at some stage <laughs> but I did say, I did ask for the refund and they did give me one because absolutely not what I asked for. No. Had a nice Banoffee pie one instead. Very nice. Um, oh, uh, got too caught up in the moment of having an ice cream masaka then. Got carried um, away, didn't you? Yeah. Ah, I had a big point to make here. So it's a fairly low-key team talk before the Chelsea game. Do you mm. think Arteta's run out of ideas or he's realised, perhaps after the Brighton game, that I'm just better off speaking from the heart here because even his elaborate, crazy ones earlier in the documentary are still very heartfelt regardless of how they come across. Like, he's speaking from personal experience. It's not like he's taking this out of a textbook like the light bulb one. And so I don't know if there's a realisation there because he is almost pleading with the players before the Chelsea game to just go out there and just show their personality. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like maybe he is just having ideas at this point and he's just hoping the players can give him something. Um, he probably like the rest of us is probably looking at these fixtures and not thinking Charles is going to be the one where you turn it around. So maybe he's just trying to take the pressure off or not amping it up too much and thinking that's the only way we might get something here. He definitely knows the players. He says, Nuno, if you make a mistake, we will all be on the bench cheering you on and encouraging <laughs> you to continue. 
<laughs> Nuno's saying, what would you pick me out for then, boss? It's, Come on. I mean, it's the first of several shots at Nuno, to be fair, <laughs> throughout this uh, next ep- next two episodes. <laughs> Not that they were undeserved, by the way. Fortunately, he doesn't really seem to get her. So yeah. <laughs> it kind of works. And I'll say it again, the, these low-angle shots that they use, and I don't know how they get them, to be honest, but these goals just look so much better every time. The one that they've got of Eddie just charging the ball down for his opener is so nice seeing the determination on his face. And I know it's done to call back to, look, if you put the effort in and you charge down, then these things are going to happen. But it's so good. If you'd just given me a nice slow-mo shot of him leaning on the corner flag doing a celebration, it would have been perfect. But they make up for it with that beautiful angle of the Smith Rowe goal. Yeah, that's a time of an angle. I forgot how crazy this game was, actually. Yeah, half, so did especially. I. <laughs> yeah. A Russian home, I was meant to watch it with Troy and we'd be geared up for it. And I think his missus was late home from work. So he said, I'm going to have to watch it at home. So we were just kind of texting back and forth. And pretty early on, it was like, oh, fuck's sake. Because <laughs> every time they scored, it was like 100 seconds after. They, after every time we scored, they'd bag an equaliser. Mm. And then the novelty of Eddie really does kick in with the second goal, where it's like Eddie Mkhetia scored two goals against Chelsea. This is incredible. And then that Saka penalty at the end felt like a huge moment at the time. And I think if we did get over the line, it probably would have been the moment that would have been almost on the poster of uh, Arsenal getting top four. But yeah, definitely. The commentary behind it, everything <laughs> to do with it was just... It's like so Eddie's uh, Peter Drury's son on the commentary. He's <laughs> buzzing for it. <laughs> It is great having his commentary for almost all of these games. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal. Still baffling that no one like on Sky or BT has snapped him up. He must have some it, contract elsewhere. It is insane, isn't it? Do you, do you wonder if we might have yeah, too much of a good thing if we had him all the time? I don't know because... Um, it shouldn't, but just my, my dad, I don't want to throw him under the bus here, but I remember in the midst of all of the Andy Gray keys scandal back in the day <laughs> was just, you couldn't have the conversation without it just looping back around to, yeah, but his commentary is so good. <laughs> and he would always reference that there was one Saturday afternoon where it was almost like BT were testing the water. And it may have been a Liverpool game, actually, that they just stuck him back on there randomly once on a Saturday afternoon. And it was like, okay, is are they getting him back in? And it always felt so obvious for BT to say, Look, we'll worry about the morals later. We're struggling here. We've got Michael Owen on comms at the time. Let's get Andy Gray on board. Yeah. They don't. And it just seems like such an obvious one when, regardless of what you think of them, Owen, uh, not Owen, um, Neville and Carragher are pretty much uh, like the face of Sky Sports with everything they do now. And BT should just be jumping on Peter Drew and paying whatever they do because... They definitely pay a fortune to the likes of McManaman. And if you just said, we're just going to give him Champions League, the levels you'd be taking this to would just Mm. be immense. And yet you almost, if your team wins a big game, you just got to Google for the Peter Drury commentary after and just hope he's delivered in nine times out of 10 he has. Yeah, if you score a feature for goal, that's the commentary you want. Yeah. I wish I'd let close-up shots of Azpilicueta in this game because I hate him anyway. I thought we were getting rid of him this summer and he stuck around. <laughs> just a vile, vile blow. He just won't go. 
my notes here, I, I think the losses in the previous games had got to me because I've got I love Eddie just ran it in my notes and then just I fucking love Saka so much as he's pumping up towards the fans afterwards. <laughs> and I know I've got the United game to come, which is the last real high point before things start to take a turn. But we do have to end this episode, the United game, as I said, Smith Rowe is in the car talking about what it means for him to be playing with Saka. More wholesome content. He, he always looks like he's holding back a smirk, like his straight face. He just looks like he's, I, I think it's because he's shy, but he always just looks like his lips are almost like pursed, like he's just holding something back. And if he snap it, yeah, you'd think there's like a joke you weren't in on. Yeah. But with all due respect to the man, I don't think he's ever been on in a joke that someone else is in on. I'm not sure he's getting the punchline ahead of you. <laughs> so uh, not much going on beyond the eyes, bless him. So he's a nice, innocent fellow. But yeah, like you said, quite shy, I think. I've I've written down here after he's spoken about him and Saka. I think the real thing that resonates with him is he does genuinely just seem so normal. Mm. Just the littlest thing. All we really need to hear is a young English player talking about, oh, well, I dreamt of playing in this game when I was younger. And it's why that little clip before the North London derby was so good, because it's essentially the, the conversation that we've all had when we were younger and it's nice that the dream element of it isn't lost on these guys even when they have uh, reached what is initially what they believe to be the pinnacle of their career. Because I do think where these players obviously in academies from young, I do think it probably must seem like a job very immediately. And I think we probably worry as fans that has them being a fan kind of been lost because once it's your job, you're no longer a fan, are you? You're, yeah. You know, you're, you're an employee. Um, and the fact that isn't lost on um, Smith, Rowe and Saka, and the fact he references that they came through the age groups together, I think yeah. we kind of almost overlooked that. The fact that basically, it's great that you've been able to do this anyway, but the fact you've been able to do it with your mate is uh, even better. Because I remember when Ramsdale signed, and he said something along the lines of... Um, well, look, when, whenever I join a club, I completely immerse myself in it and I feel like I'm a fan then for as long as I'm at that club. So for the next three, four, five years, even longer, I'm going to be an Arsenal fan. And usually you get given the spiel of, now I'm here, I'm an Arsenal fan for life. I've always been, I've always been an Arsenal fan. And at first I took it with Ramsdale. That's a bit strange, like he's almost limiting. I'm going to be a fan essentially for the next couple of years. Then afterwards, as you've just said, the fact that it's their job, I think it would be strange if you didn't grow up an Arsenal fan to just immediately have a connection to it. And I guess the hope is that the players that, I guess Ben White would be a good example, if we could give him like a truth serum and say, do you love Arsenal now? Or is it just you play and you like the guys you work with? Because you hope at least that these people in the inside love it as much as we do on the outside. Yeah, that, that, there would be the, the difference in... Maybe, and I, I don't dislike the guy, but in Ben White and you know, Smith, Rowe and Saka, I think there probably would be a disparity in their sort of feeling toward their, towards the club, wouldn't there? But uh, yeah. it's, it's only really time and success, really. When you look at 
sort of legendary players of clubs, they fall in love with the club because they end up winning things with them. Yeah. It tends to be. Or they spend a long, long period of time now, I should say, because not everyone obviously wins trophies. But So it's either longevity or, or success. And yes. That's probably why Ramsdale's right to say what he did at that point, because for he, he could have been asked for two years and they could have bought yeah. him. Yeah, there, there's, there was a point of Ben White, and it's before the Newcastle game, unfortunately, but he's looking up to the fans, and I think he pats his chest and he claps. And it was that was just a, a, the tiniest thing for me, and the bar may be on the floor when it comes to me and Ben White, but that was one for, okay, you do actually seem to be, it's not just I'm mixed with Ramsdale, I like Rob Holding, and I want to compete to win things. It did seem like there was beginning to be something a bit more between him and the fans. Um, I guess we never really truly know. I think you, the players that do feel the way that we hope they do kind of sing it from the rooftops because they know it gets you in the good books even faster. Certainly is good PR, yeah. Yeah. Um, El Nenny playing through Ramadan, I, I do genuinely respect that so much every mm-hmm. year because, I mean... If I don't have my brunch bar in the morning, I start feeling hungry. <laughs> Let alone going and running around for ninety minutes. It is mm. just insane what these guys can put their bodies through. And I didn't know, as quite ignorantly, how much went on behind the scenes where they're monitoring his body fats and ensuring that he is still able to compete in the game. Yeah, that, that um, I imagine in the last 10 to 15 years would have become more and more uh, the case at clubs because obviously more and more Muslim players come into, uh, over here. Um, I, I was pretty stunned. This woman did seem pretty unaware of either what Ramadan means or what fasting means. Yeah. At one point she goes to him, so you haven't eaten this morning? Yeah. That, that, that's kind of the idea. He's like, yeah, well, I, obviously I ate that before I went to sleep. I know. She, part- she is just baffled by this. I mean, I may be making myself look like it here, but it's essentially you can't eat or drink while the sun is up. Is that In day right? hours, yeah, correct. Yeah. So I, I do think, and we would have it when we would speak to Muslims that were at our school, and you'd essentially set your alarm and just get up even earlier to eat, to be able to eat at the start of the day as well. And so it may be that she was expecting that he was going to do that and was asking why, what time he got up this morning, but... Or she was just being. <laughs> she didn't know. <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to put you say the wrong thing, do you? Unless maybe she was just playing there. Uh, Especially playing with a camera. Now, I'm sure, it's all part yeah. of uh, look. Show what happens with Muslim players, whatever. So you've got to do the spiel, I guess. We get a rare sighting of Tierney when he's saying they want him to bring the boot back with him. <laughs> he's like, How the fuck am I going to bring this in my hand luggage? <laughs> <laughs> Ramza says he's going to be flying Ryan out or something. <laughs> yeah, that was that, that was uh, an insight on footballers there, like <laughs> because I know people refer to it as cheap airlines on our kind of pay level, but there's also the well, look, I understand why you're doing it. It maybe must be strange when you are on a hundred grand plus a week that someone is taking a cheap flight, but yeah, it's all part of the Tierney brand, isn't it? He's probably on. Tesco bag, make sure everyone sees it and uh, his PR be through the roof. Uh, so I'm actually walking back. That's what I'm doing because uh, I'm not going to spend that much on a flight. Arsenal fans, I mean, fits online. <laughs> How many injuries are you going to get on that walk? Well, even with T, I will say I love the guy. 
I cringed at the um, at the amount that was made over him having a Tesco bag. It was it, it was a bit much of this guy is one of us because yeah. I mean even I had a boot bag. Like it, this wasn't a sign of like I'm one of the people because I bring my boots in a Tesco carrier bag. <laughs> if anything, I think you'd almost be laughed at going into a football changing room with that. It was like it wasn't some sign of ever all. Uh, 15 of us or however many it was on a Sunday we're all going in with our Sainsbury's Tesco bag for life the United game yeah the United game it I remembered very quickly how this game should have been a cakewalk yeah yeah and then very quickly (laughs) we just started wasting chances the atmosphere was red hot and you did see that on the screen but if you could have given me just a bit more slow motion on that Bruno penalty, I that would have been the icing on the was, cake for me. That was that was magic. Shame we didn't get half time at this. Obviously, Ronaldo scores not that long before half time. I'd have been interested to see what your dressing room was like. Bearing in mind, obviously, what's gone on in the few games before. Yeah, um, I would have been interested in that. My only thinking is that. Because a lot of the team talks from the Chelsea game onwards are very similar. That maybe it was just the same thing again, and that was it. And they thought there was more tension in the West Ham game. I'm not too sure. Mm. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, it did seem strange to me because I thought you'd go all in when they were giving it the Ronaldo's play, and this is the big one, old rivalry. That angle of the Xhaka goal, I've not seen that one before. That was great. Yeah, I think I think I may have I think they may have shown it on the thing I thought. But yeah, yeah, great, great angle. Good finish. It got Arsenal goal of the season, which I thought was harsh over the Smith Rowe one against Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's better than that. I th- I th- there there was a thing with Arsenal fans toward the end of the season where it was like we need Xhaka to win an award to show him <laughs> that we don't hate the bloke. <laughs> And I remember there was a, there was a month when I think it was maybe the month when Martinelli and we did it last week when Martinelli just popped off in that one month around Christmas, and there are Arsenal fans like we need to get Granite Xhaka player of the month here. He needs to know how we feel about him. So well, Martinelli's just scored five goals in a month. Maybe we show him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we won't, we won't uh, tilt our nose up at this, but that was really the end of episode seven. We end on a positive yep. note. And then uh, I think the last thing we hear is uh, it's down Arsenal. I think we end United's hopes of getting the top four here. We go back above Spurs and it's it's going to be a shootout between these two teams to end the season. Proper Greek tragedy stuff where it's sort of, it looks like it might go well and you just know it's just destined for misery. Yeah, but let's get on to it.